This is a free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in the Delancey Elam Church building at the Bank St. Sampson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. Have a look at young David in one Samuel chapter. Give me a smile this morning. Huh? <laughs> it's good, it's nice to feel that. My insecurities. <laughs> okay, it's James 1, verse 21. It says, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness, overflow of wickedness, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. And we've been looking at, we looked at last week, at, at the cleansing of the soul. Because who many knows that, and I spoke of last week, how the, the father of lies seeks to sow lies into our life. Often from very early stages. Mary was sharing in a testament, which was fantastic. How the, many of those effects, many of those lies that came in, came in from childhood. How many found that? I shared a few stories how that often through, often our childhood experiences, lies are sown into our heart and we begin to believe the father of lies and the only way you deal with a lie is through truth and so the father of lies often through all kinds of experiences you have a circumstance you have experience in life and we begin to see that experience through a lie and it affects the way we think it affects the way we relate it affects every part of our being because that lie has got down into the depths of our hearts And God comes to cleanse our hearts and to cleanse our souls from the lies that have been sown in our life. And the way he cleanses the soul from lies is by what? Truth. You will know the truth. And the word truth there, the word know there is intimate. You become intimately acquainted with truth and the truth is the thing that breaks you free. You recognize the lie, you see the lie. Now, James gives a word for you to be able to receive that truth. He says, you humbly receive the word. And here's the problem sometimes, that God can speak to us through various ways, the truth comes to us, but often, out of an unwillingness to face it or deal with it, or a pride in our heart, sometimes we can resist the truth. You know, we blame somebody else, or we blame something else. And so we, we don't receive it with, a, with that spirit of humility. And he says, the only way that you receive truth is having a, humble, a, a humility attitude enough to actually receive the truth. And there's a truth implanted into your heart, really gets down to the core, to the depth of your being. It brings incredible liberty and freedom. Isn't that awesome? And so we spoke on last week how the Father is the Father of all truth. Jesus says, I'm the way, the life, and the... So he always comes, and the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth and so he comes to impact our lives and begins to bring us into truth david says search me oh god is there anything in me is there any untruth in me is some way have i been believing the lie in some aspect of my life reveal to me any lie show my heart open my heart show my heart if there's be anything in me and i 
And he speaks about the word wickedness. And the word wickedness, I think I shared last week, is actually the Hebrew word means to be twisted. You know what I mean? Furniture, what do we call it? We call it, in fact, what do you call it? Uh, what's the word? Wicker, that's it, wicker. You call it wicker. Wicker baskets and wickers. It's twisted, twisted things. And he says, David says, show me if there's any twisted way. Is there some aspect of my emotions that's been twisted? Is there some, is there some way of the way I think that's been twisted? Is there some aspect of my life that actually somewhere along the lines got twisted along the way because of the lie that's got in and it's twisted certain aspects of my life. And the word of truth comes to straighten out. To straighten us out. To bring us to a point that we are in that right place, going the right way because the twistedness is, is, being, is being changed in us. Can you say amen? Now, I want to talk this morning about the fact that let me just describe it this way. Basically, Jesus comes to cleanse our soul from anything that hinders us. Okay, so anything that hinders us, anything that affects us, he comes to cleanse us from any of that stuff. How many know that God's purpose for your life and my life is freedom? That's what he longs for. He wants you to be free. You know, for freedom, this is why he came. For to us to live in liberty. And when things get a hold of us, if, when our souls are, are cluttered up, if you like, then we don't live in freedom. We're not free to be the people that we know in the depth of our being that we know we should be. And so things come to clutter our souls up, to stop us experiencing freedom. Because that's God's highest purpose for your life, for you to live a life of incredible freedom. The devil comes to bring us into bondage, but Jesus comes to bring you into freedom. For freedom, liberty, freedom. That's why Jesus comes from there. Now, how many know that living in freedom doesn't mean you're going to live free of problems? That's true. You know, you don't say to our kids, by the way, no one's ever going to say anything nasty to you. You're never going to, no one's ever going to really be horrible to you. You're going to live a life free of problems. We, we just don't tell our kids that because, you know, reality is sometimes people will say hurtful things to us. Sometimes people will do things that, that, that give us pain and hurt and different things in life. That's just the way life is. People will hurt us. Things, people will say unkind things to us. So the issue is, it's not that these things will not happen to us. Really the deep core of it is how we respond to it. Because the way to come into freedom is, is to allow ourselves, if we respond completely and rightly to those things, then those experiences in life actually, instead of binding us up, actually set us free. You see, the choice in all these things is this, this is, that's what I want to really touch on, is whether we are going to get offended or not. That's what it's all about. And I think the major thing that we need to be cleansed from in our souls it's not just the lies of the enemy, but the offences of our heart. Because often, and that again can begin often early on in life, that certain offences can get a hold of our lives. And, and what God wants to do, he wants to cleanse you from offences. Because offences will, will, will clutter your soul up. Offences will affect you. Offences will limit your life. And so God comes to cleanse us from offence. The choice is, is whether we're going to be cleansed from it or whether we're going to nurture it and sustain it. How many glad that Jesus comes to cleanse us from all the offences 
that can so easily pollute our heart and pollute our soul. Let me turn me to the book of Hebrews. See, I think the way you and I learn to process the experience in life is, is often in direct proportion to our level of freedom. I love what someone says. No, I'll leave that one. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 and verse 14 to 15. It says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness. Without, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone short of the grace of God, lest a root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by this many become defiled. Someone said we can be encapsulated. In, I knew I shouldn't have gone. No, leave that one. <laughs> Thinking that word. It speaks about a root of bitterness. Now think about this. But he didn't say what a fruit of bitterness. He says what a root. Because a root always produces fruit. Is that true? So when there's a root there and a root of bitterness, there are certain things that is going to be a result of the bitterness. It's going to produce certain things. And I think bitterness actually when it comes down to us is this. I think bitterness, really, if you want to kind of define it really, I think bitterness is when we choose to stay offended rather than forgiving. That's really how bitterness comes. When I choose to retain the offence rather than forgiving. It's interesting, to understand the power of that scripture, you need to understand the book of Hebrews was written to a people that were incredibly persecuted it wasn't written to a people you know we often our idea of persecution is when someone takes us off Facebook or something you know what I mean <laughs> or when someone says a little bit nasty to us these people were so persecuted the persecution was almost you couldn't even describe in words some of the things some of the persecution that they experienced and so the writer to the Hebrews whoever that was <laughs> actually says even though you're being persecuted, even people are doing incredibly cruel things against you, don't allow yourself to receive a root of bitterness. Because he says when we allow bitterness, a root of bitterness to get in, this is what look what it says there. It says a root of bitterness will well, basically, it says that, it says, you look at verse 15, it says, because if a root of bitterness gets in, it says you fall short of what? The grace of God. So the great barrier and wall to, to the grace of God is a root of bitterness. What's the grace of God? The grace of God is God's empowering ability to enable us to be all that he has called us and made us to be. That's what grace does. Grace empowers you to be all that God has called you to be. You can see me. Now what it says is this. It says when bitterness there, that rooting, you fall short of it. 
You don't come into the fullness of the grace that empowers you to be all that God called you to be because of this root of bitterness that hinders and affects the grace of God being fully released in your life. See, God never commanded us to do something that we could not do. Or he doesn't give us the power to do. Amen? So he doesn't gonna, he's not going to give you a command and tell you to do something that he knows you can't do. Is that true? So what he does, he gives you a command and then he gives you the grace and the ability to fulfill the commandment. I love what, this is the way someone once defied commandments. The, uh, the commandment, I love it. He says, the commandment, the word command is go with man, okay, and join the hand on a move, on a journey. He said, that's the word command. Go, man, hand. And that, that's a cool one. So in other words, the, that, we go, that man goes with God as he takes his hand. So we partner with God by his grace to be all that he's called us to be. Now I want you to see something. When I partner with him and I co-work with him, I'm co-working with the one who, has, who is the greatest forgiver ever in the universe. You see that? I'm, I'm partnering with the one who is the greatest forgiver ever brought about in the universe. So I'm enabled to forgive because he gives me the ability and the power to forgive because he's the greatest forgiver ever in the universe. And so he says, you forgive as you have been forgiven. Join hands with him who's the best forgiver in the universe. I love it. See, the Bible says it was the joy that was set before him. He endured the shame. He saw the joy of you and I living a life that's not bound up with, with offense, but a life that's free, liberating, living in the power of his joy. Now, and so the Bible says, that guard your heart, really. For the moment you, you feel tempted to allow offense to get in, Guard your heart and just don't allow that offence to get a root. I would say possibly, probably, that you probably, you and I probably never go a day where we haven't got the chance to get offended. Is that true? Whether it be in your workplace, whether it be driving up the road. I mean, there's just uh, multiple ways that offence can kind of get there. And the Bible says we've got to guard ourselves and not allow it to become a root. Not allow it to kind of get to the core of your heart. Because when a fence gets in, you know, in other words, when it becomes a root, when it gets into the core of your being, it almost, interesting, almost we antis- people anticipate hurt and reject, you know, oh, oh I'm going to get hurt again. And somebody could say the most amazing, nice thing to you, you know what you're going to say? Oh, I didn't really mean that. You know, read between the lines. Everyone say that. Read between the lines. They said that, but read between the lines. That's not what they really meant. And so we kind of live these lives that's really outside the grace, not flooding into all the God for us. And here's the end result. We end up fighting the wrong thing. Do you know people aren't your problem? People are not your enemy. How many realize that? The Bible says we don't fight against what? Flesh and blood but against principalities and powers. But when there comes a root of bitterness, you end up fighting the wrong thing. You often end up fighting people 
rather than the principalities and powers often behind the thing in the first place. And so he says, don't allow there to grow a root of bitterness. Because here's what happens, because the truth is, how many would say that none of us like pain? Is that true? <laughs> how many enjoy pain? <laughs> you know, and, where, and the reason what happens is, is that when offence comes, we actually don't like the pain of it. And so this is what we do. Some people, they eat, they, they eat more. Other people eat less. Other people use shopping therapy. Just buy things. Others just get busy. So they don't have to think about it too much. Other people do all kinds of forced things, forced comforts to try to deal with the, with the offence in their hearts. Instead of rooting the thing out, they allow it to get in and it begins to pollute the soul. I think the disciples, some people go to sleep. I think that's what happened to the disciples. That night in the garden was so emotionally overwhelming to them, they just slept. Some people do that. It's ways and means to cut yourself off from the offence that you feel in your heart. But I believe there's a place that we need to go where the hurt and the pain can be dealt with. It's the presence of God. That's what Jesus did. When he faced the greatest challenge of his life, the Bible says he went aside. And what did he do? He prayed. He talked to his father. He shared with his father. He says, Father, this cup is too heavy for me to bear. Father, let your will be done, not my will. And he poured his heart out to his father. He poured out the hurt. He poured out the, all the stuff that was going on. He poured it out. He sought God. Sometimes, this is what else we do. Here's something powerful. We actually go to talk to somebody else about it. To share our offence. Isn't it interesting when you read that verse? It says, because others are affected by your defilement. Isn't it true? You think about it. But somebody begins to share their bitterness with you, and it's not too long before it begins to defile and affect you. And he says, many have become defiled because of the root in somebody else. Because they shared their offence. They shared their bitterness. And the, the attitude, the spirit of that began to affect and defile many. You know, the interesting thing is, when you study the cults, many of the cults, the cults began with people who were already in church. That's true. And they got offended by what happened in church. And out of their bitter roots, they got deceived. And out of their deception, a cult began in some form or another. Because bitterness roots have the power, the effects, to affect other people. Amen? And so he says, guard your heart against a bitter root. How many are glad that I think God's raising up a new generation? Who are going to keep on loving when it gets tough. They want to bless instead of curse. They want to forgive instead of being easily offended. They are tender-hearted rather than hard-hearted. How many glad about that? Okay, one John. Three John. One, two. Who 
ever read this? We often misunderstood some of this, but 3 John 2 says, it says, I beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things, and you may be in health just as your soul prospers. In other, in other words, that the prospering, as your soul begins to prosper and, and, be, and be cleansed, every other part of your body begins to be affected. Can you say amen? In other words, if my soul isn't prospering, then every other part of my being is affected by it. And he says, as your soul prospers, then other, other areas, every other dimension of your life prospers. But if your soul isn't prospering, then every other area of your life is limited and affected. Your soul, actually, is your mind. It's your emotions. It's your will. And I'm glad to tell you that Jesus is the lover of your soul. He loves your soul. He loves when your mind is thinking on his thoughts. He loves when your emotions are full of his affections. How many realize God created our emotions? And he loves it when our emotions are just full of his affections. And what happens is, is this is what happens. When you get saved, when you get born again, your spirit comes alive. Can you say amen? You are spiritually born again. Your spirit comes to life. Your spirit that was dead, the moment you receive Christ, your spirit comes alive. But how many know your soul still needs some work on? And that's why the Bible speaks about the renewing of the mind. Because your soul is your mind, your emotions, your will. And so what God does, he begins to renew your soul. And the goal is, is for your spirit to come in line with your soul. It's rather like this. We could put, I'm not going to, but say if I did. I could put a million pounds in your bank account. That's that's not a prophetic word either. (laughs) Just to remind you, see, it's not a prophetic, he's claiming it. Thank you, Lord. But the point is, is actually, and yet you could still live broke. Still live like a pauper, even though you may have a million pounds in the bank. And there's the truth that you and I, when we got born again, we received the same spirit that raised Christ up from the dead. All the wisdom, all the love, all the power of God was poured into our life. Isn't that awesome? But often, because our soul is unhealthy, our soul is, not, is still hindered and affected, then the spirit that's there in us is limited in what it can do because of the condition of the soul. And so God comes to renew the soul, so your soul comes in line with your spirit. And so all the resources, all the stuff God's poured into you, begin to flow in your life. It's no longer hindered. It's no longer affected because of the condition of your soul. In other words, that you're more than a conqueror and you begin to live like more than a conqueror. You're a joint heir with Christ and you begin to live like a joint heir with Christ. You're a new creation and you begin to live like a new creation because your soul comes into line with your spirit. It begins to flow in your life. Tell me to Isaiah 30 verse 26. Book of Isaiah. 
then we're going to go over to John's Gospel in a moment. But just turn me to John, Isaiah 30, verse. Sometimes they're much easier iPads, aren't they? Anyway, verse 26. Isaiah 30, verse 26. It says, Moreover, the light of the moon will be as light of the sun, and the light of the sun will be sevenfold as the light of seven stars. In that day, the Lord binds up the bruise of his people and heals the stroke of their wound. So basically, there's this picture of a wound. And I think many wounds are caused by offense in our hearts. Now go to John 5 with that thought in mind. John chapter 5. And here's the well-known story of the man at the pool of Bethsaida. And it says there was a man there who had an infirmity for 38 years. And the word infirmity means a weakness of both soul and body. So, although his body was physically weak, yet there's also an infirmity in his soul. And it's interesting in verse 14, as Jesus heals the man, verse 14, he says, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you've been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. In other words, Jesus forgives the, the sin that had affected the soul infirmity, that had weakened his body and also had affected his soul. I spoke the last few weeks about the, I love that story, the guy, the man, the guy, beautiful, I mean, I love that story. Do you remember when he got touched in the heel? You know what it says? He began walking and leaping and praising God. I love that. Do you realize that what a picture that is of the whole dimension of man? Physically he's healed, he's walking. He's emotionally healed because he starts leaping. In other words, all the sorrow, all the infirmity, all the stuff that was in his heart was suddenly released from him. And suddenly he begins to leap. And then it says he praises God. So almost there's a a spiritual impact as well. There's a spiritual release. He's spiritually touched as well. The touch of Jesus affects the whole dimension. Body, soul, and spirit. In other words, that when Jesus sets us free... It sets us free from every effect of, of, of offense in our life. Body, soul, and spirit. Isn't it interesting that often Jesus would say to people, will you be made what? Whole. Not just will you be healed, but will you be made whole? Will you experience my touch in your emotions? That thing that has affected the rest of your being, will you be made Matthew 13, verse 54. There's a powerful truth in this. We're going to have fun in the moment with this one. Matthew 13, verse 54. When he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogues. So they were astonished and said, Where did this man get his wisdom and these mighty works? Notice this, is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not the mother is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not with it all with us? Where did this man get all these things? Notice this in verse fifty seven. And so they were what? Offended at him. 
But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour, except in his own country and in his own house. Now, here's the result. Verse 58. Now, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Ever thought about that? But Jesus couldn't minister because they were offended. They actually resisted the ministry of Jesus. And this is what offense does. Offense resists the activity of Jesus, but opens the life to the activity of the enemy, or let me put it this way, or to the misery of the enemy. In other words, offense actually stops you entering into all the blessings that God has for your life. Now let me show you a true fact. Where, there's a, where there is a move of God, where there is a blessing of God, let me put it this way, the doorway to blessing will always have before it a rock of offence. It really is. I tell you, every single, every single time I've ever come into a blessing of God, I've always been confronted by a rock of offence. And every time you see a blessing of God, I guarantee right at the doorway will be the potential to be offended by it. Let me look at the story of Naaman. You know what it says about that man? It says he was a great general, but he was a leper. That's what it says about him. And he's, if you like, he's serv- the servant girl says, I know a prophet, Elisha. He heals people. He's got an amazing healing ministry. Why don't you go to him? So he goes. You know what he expects? His memory is a, is a general, and he expects... Elisha to welcome him and say, oh, it's great to see you, General, and bow the knee, and what a privilege it is to pray for you. He doesn't even, he doesn't even open the door. He sends his servant and says, go and wash in the river Jordan seven times and you'll be healed. And shuts the door and off he goes. This guy is offended nowhere, big time. I'm a general, how dare he t- And you know what? Washing in that river was an incredible offence. to us. He was a Syrian general, and it's an offence to do that, for a Syrian to do that. And so he wants me to wash seven times and I read, this is offensive. And, he was, and the Bible says he was, he was walking away. He was absolutely overwhelmed. And he was going to be stopped receiving the blessing that God has for him. But then the servant girl says, Master, is that really too hard for you to do? And so he begins to think, you know, okay, what have I got to lose? I mean, you know, if you're a leper, you've got nothing to lose. And so he goes. And he, I can just see him being... How many know that one of the fruit of the Spirit is not dignity? How many have ever found that? And so... Once, now just once would be enough, but it's not just once, it's twice, it's three times, it's four times, five times, and you can just see the, you know, the cringe factor going on here. Six times, seventh time, he ought. But before his blessing, there was always a rock of offense. And I'm staggered how Jesus always had the ability to offend people. For example, why does he heal people on a Sabbath? Why can't he heal them on another day? He purposely does it on the Sabbath because that's the rock of offence that really offends them big time. And every move of God always has attached to it a rock of offence. Azusa Street. The great move, the great beginnings of the Pentecostal movement had attached to it tongues which offended a lot of, lot of people. How many realise that? John Wesley 
offended people when he started to preach in the open air because they thought you could only preach in church. And he started to preach in the open air and he offended everybody by, by saying, no, I'm, I'm preaching in the open air. When the Pentecostal movement began, it was so offensive. The great, one of the greatest preachers of the day, I'm talking about almost the equivalent to someone in the Billy Graham, you know, absolutely really top preacher of the day, said that Pentecost was the last vomit of hell. That's what he said. How many think that would, you know, that's kind of, you know, when a a, a respected preacher says that, that's, you know, that's difficult to deal with. The early Pentecostals were incredibly persecuted because people were offended. Now it's sort of whatever, but the point was, our, our forefathers were incredibly persecuted for Welsh revival. Now we think how awesome and amazing, and it was, but many were offended by the Welsh revival. Toronto was awesome, but the trouble is, it had laughter with it, which people were offended by. You know what I'd probably say? I'd probably think this. A true move of God, if it's not in some way persecuted, I question if it's, if it's a true move of God. If a, tr- if a true move of God will always cause offence. If it doesn't offend, if it's not right there on the internet, somewhere along the line, <laughs> then I guarantee somewhere it's not a true move of God. Because a true move of God always has connected to it a rock of offence. Do you think the early church, that was a major battle with the early church? It was people were offended by what they declared. They were offended when somebody was healed. A lame man, courteous, and he was healed. And people were offended at the fact he was healed. Because they did it in what? The name of Jesus. And so I say before us today, I guarantee that any blessing that you and I will come into, before it, there will always be an opportunity to be offended. So you know why that is? Because God never does it the way we expect him to do it. Sometimes we're saying, God, this is the way I want you to move, and this is the way I want you to do it. And sometimes he doesn't do it in the way we want him to do it, in the time he wants me to do it, and we get offended. Because it didn't happen the way that we thought it would happen. And so before every blessing, there becomes this rock of offence. Every move of God... Okay, Luke 13. Luke 13, 10 to 17. It's a story of a dear lady in Luke 13, 10 to 17. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath again. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years, was bent over, and no way could raise herself up. The actual word there means a disabilitating, a, dis- a disabling spirit. And often the connection of that word speaks of an offence. In other words, some ways you should open her heart to offence, and there was a disabling spirit that kind of affected her and bent her over. When you think about it, that's what offence does. Because this is what offence does. It kind of bends you over. You know what happens? You can't see from a true perspective. You see from a totally wrong perspective. 
You see it in the wrong way. You, you react in the wrong way because you're bent over and you can't see as it was meant to be seen. It affects the way you perceive things, the way you look at things, the way, the way you respond to things. And Jesus healed her and brought her back up. So she could begin to look at things from a totally different perspective. In other words, we see life through offence. We see our lives through the offence of the life. You know, almost this sense that we see often through, through, through a victim mentality that means we begin to judge people's motives. We struggle to trust God because we're afraid that as people let us down, then God will let us down. We think, almost that you get to the level where you think everybody's off the rails. You know, everybody's wrong except me. And we're affected because this offence so affects our minds and our perceptions and the way we see things. So how do we really get free of offence? Let me close by this. How do we, get a, how do we cleanse our souls out of the things that have, have, have brought offence to our hearts and offence? How do we get cleansed of it? I think there's two ways. The obvious ways. Through the blood and through the power of of God. It's all based on the death and resurrection of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. How many times? The blood of Jesus. It goes right to the core of that offence. That the moment we recognise it, the moment we confess it, the blood of Jesus comes and it cleanses us from that offence. The cult, the, but here's the key to it. Jesus says that When you are truly forgiven, then you begin to forgive others. And often it begins with a recognition that I've been amazingly and wonderfully forgiven. If we really struggle with receiving God's forgiveness, then I guarantee you're going to struggle to forgive other people. Jesus says, those who love much, those who are forgiven much, begin to love much. It doesn't mean that your sin was greater than anybody else's, but you've had a revelation how amazing that God would forgive me. How amazing of all the mistakes, all the messes I've made, that God has amazingly forgiven me. And out of that awareness of your forgiveness comes an ability to say, Lord, because you've forgiven me for so much and it's been so amazing, then what people do to me actually is very small in comparison. Amen? So the more I get a revelation of the blood forgiving me, the easier I'm going to find it to forgive others. I'm they glad for forgiveness and the power of the blood. The second thing that comes is the resurrected life, the power. The Bible says the same power that raised Christ up from the dead is now at work in you. And I, it's my, actually one of my favourite words, in the, one of my favourite Greek words, as far as I can say, is the word dynamis. I love that word. And I love looking up the meanings of it. And it actually means, to, it actually means, basically, as I look at it, it actually means to, the, the, the power to turn miraculously in a new direction. In other words, a new direction. It gives you the power to live your life in a new direction. You know what the truth is? You would be amazed at the direction your life would take when you're cleansed from all the offence. You'd be amazed at how a whole new world, a whole new way, a whole new direction is opened up for you. 
There's the power that God gives to give you a new direction when you begin to release the offence. It comes from the core of your heart. How many of you have children? You say, forgive, you know, forgive them. Whoever, and so this, this hesitancy. I forgive you of the rude things you said to me. <laughs> I forgive you of your, your really bad response to me. You never know this. So they forgive him, but there's a bit of a, should we say, a reluctance there. You know, shake hands. But when, when the Spirit of God really gets a hold of you, it gives you a whole new ability, not just to, to be something that's token, but something that floods from the depth of your heart. How many realize the goal in life is to please God? How many believe that? And so forgiveness has to be right there at the top. Second meaning of the word dynamis is excellence of soul. The power to walk in a new way with a new attitude. How many know you can't walk in, the old way, in a new way with an old attitude? How many found that? And so the power comes to give you a whole new attitude. It's the power to replace those thoughts with resurrected desire to bless, forgive, heal, and almost cause your soul to be a soul of excellence. You forgive in an easy way. You want to bless in an easy way. You, you, you forgive all those who have offended you and, and you just get that, all that offense out of you. And your soul is cleansed by the blood and the power of the Spirit that enables you to live an a, a offense-free life. Wouldn't that be awesome to live that? An, an offense-free life. A life that's not bound and affected by the offense of life. Jesus said these words and I'll close with this. Blessed is he who takes no offence at me. In other words, they're going to be really happy. You're going to be so happy. The opposite is misery. How many want to be happy? So he says, don't take offence. In whatever way, whatever forms it comes, and it can come in all kinds of forms, refuse not to take it. How many know that in order to receive something, you've got to receive You've got to take it into yourself. And so instead of doing this, you do this. No further. No, no further. I refuse to receive that offence. Man, I so want to get offended by that. Man, I, still, I really want to respond to that, react to that. I want to think in that. I want to dwell on that. I want to really get upset by that. But, you know, hey... Stay where it is. I'm, not, I'm just going to shrug it off. So I don't want a root of bitterness to grow in me. And I want to please Father. What would he do? I want to live in his power and his life. In the blood and the resurrected life of Jesus. Let's just stand, shall we? Hmm. Hallelujah. And right now, as the Holy Spirit is among us today, let's say, Holy Spirit, is there any offence in my heart today? Maybe against parents, against bosses, against teachers, children, all kinds of things, leaders, wherever. And is there an, as a kind of offence kind of got into the heart right there? And Jesus just simply says today, just bring it under the blood 
let me cleanse you and then I'll give you the power and the ability to take your life into a new direction and enable you to live a a excellence of soul. Say, Lord, do it in me today. Just spend a few moments. Let the Holy Spirit search your heart. Ask the Holy Spirit just to show you anything or anyone today that you need to forgive or release or, or any offense that you just want to release to the Lord right now as the Holy Spirit shows you. So right now, you just pray this prayer. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for the power of your blood right now. And I ask you now to cleanse me of every offense. I choose to forgive those who have offended me. And you spend a few moments in your own heart, you just name them and give them to the Lord right now. say Lord right now I pray for you to bless them I release a blessing upon their lives and Lord I thank you now for your forgiveness in my life Lord and I receive right now the freedom that is mine Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads, information or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk.